Hi there. I am so excited to invite you to attend our fourth annual free virtual special education and advocacy conference. We are hosting it here at Ashley Barlow Company in partnership with Rebecca Poe Teaching. And we are so excited for a few new things at this year's conference. The first new thing is that we have not just one, but two different tracks for attendance. For the first time ever, we have created a track that is specific for school staff and teachers. We also still have that traditional track that we intend to be really great for parents and caregivers in the IEP arena. So yes, we have a teacher track and a parent track. On that teacher track, you are going to learn about things like easier data collection, gestalt language processing, behavior reading, and other super hot topics in special education practice, as well as advocacy. On the teacher and caregiver track, you're going to learn about stress management for caregivers using adaptive books, something that I have really kind of um, dove into here at my own house, inclusion advocacy, advocacy strategies, and so, so much more. That free ticket will give you one pass, one access to one presentation per hour on the track that you choose, either that teacher track or the parent track. Of course, if you are not available on January 19th or January 20th when the conference is taking place, you can buy tickets to access the conference on demand. And those tickets, of course, are available at our website, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference slash 2024. Check out the website for more information about ticketing. This year, we also have something super exciting planned. We have decided to make this a two-day event. When I partnered with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I told her that I really feel like school districts, disability organizations, and other community organizations need to start providing trainings that are accessible to teachers, related service providers, administrators, parents and caregivers, and other community members that are interested in IEP support. What if we all attended the same training? What if we all learned information about special education practice, curriculum, how to read evaluations, that kind of stuff, about special education advocacy, how we can collaborate more, how we can work together, and even about special education laws. What if we all attended those presentations and we workshopped them together? So together with Rebecca Poteaching, I have created the Empowered Workshop Series, and we are excited to bring it to your organization or school in 2024 and beyond. If you are interested in having Rebecca and I bring a workshop to you, you can see a preview of the Empowered Workshops on January 19th, the Friday before our main conference programming. For more information about that, either send me a DM or check out the website, again, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th and can't wait to connect with you. Hi everyone, welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, 
a teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Hi, Amy. Hi, Ashley. I'm so happy to have you here. You guys, I want to introduce to you Amy Martin. Amy and I have been friends for 10 years, and I know that because Jack is 10 years old. Amy was Jack's physical therapist in his early intervention, which in Kentucky is called First Steps. And I remember we started First Steps without PT because Jack, even as a baby, was a pretty good motor guy. But one day he rolled over and he acted like it hurt his shoulder. And I was like, I need a PT and I need her now. And Amy came and she not only was like, I think his shoulder is fine, but she also was equally smart and caring. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's the whole picture. She like totally geeked out over this ligament thing or whatever it was that she was suspecting um, in Jack's shoulder. But she also was like, super, super caring and sweet and just cuddled on my cute little deserving baby. And it just made me feel so good as a mom. So Amy's a physical therapist. She does work still in Kentucky's early intervention. Um, and then she also has some school contracts. So she does some physical therapy for kids with disabilities that are in schools. Um, and then she has this awesome business that I'm gonna let her tell us about called Empower House. And um, Empower House does some therapies and some really cool classes and seminars and that sort of thing as well. So Amy, welcome to the Special Education with Ashley Barlow podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to tell you all about what I'm doing right now. Um, you know, Ashley, you um, uh, are such, have so much energy and always make me feel like I'm on the right track. So I am grateful for friends like you and for friends like Jack. Um, I'm so grateful to get to do the work that I do. Um, I do love it. And I think that um, makes, makes the work less tedious and difficult. Although any of us who has a friend or a loved one with special needs knows that it is tedious and difficult to, um, to navigate this life when you've got these special challenges. Um, but I think that's part of what I love about it is that you make connections with people that really um, are working from the heart and um, know that it really matters to people. So again, I'm very grateful to do this. And um, so, yeah, we just recently opened up a location. You know, I've been doing um, home-based and community-based community -based therapies for a long time through um, early intervention with Kentucky First Steps and with school-based contracts, which um, is very rewarding and um, really helps me see the whole um, gamut of, you know, development from early intervention all the way through to adulthood. Um, but the new location that we opened up, um, of course, uh, in early, early 2020, in January of this year, um, you know, has been kind of a dream come true. It's a beautiful location and it's got such great energy and I really wanted this space to be available um, for people who um, needed to get out of maybe their, their, um, their situation and be in a place where they could, um, you know, 
meet other people that are dealing with similar things um, and maybe engage in some enrichment activities like um, creative expression, dance, art, music, you know, things that maybe motivate us to um, take things to the next level, um, you know, to like help us find goals that really are meaningful to us. Um, I have a background of being a dancer. I don't know how much you know about that, but I, before I got into physical therapy was a dancer. And so um, I think that it was a bit selfish because I really wanted to incorporate more of that dance and creative part of my life into my work. And I thought, well, if I want to do that, I'm sure my friends do too. So, um, you know, it really makes sense to me to get families and, and, um, friends of kids with special needs um, working together in, um, in um, you know, different settings and with different types of people so that we're all integrated and we're all learning at our own pace. And, um, you know, creative expression um, can be pretty, um, pretty broad, you know, it, there's, you know, you don't have to do it a certain specific way to make it meaningful and special, you know? Yeah. And, you know, Amy, I think you do such a great job at, um, I, I've never thought about it this way, but putting the fun in the function as you're describing it, because um, you make kids work, you know, I've never enjoyed in my own personal, my personality, and then Jack's personality together um, is explosive, first of all. Um, but in addition to that, we like to get stuff done. And Jack works best if he's really kind of put to the fire in these, um, like, intense kind of work periods. Um, and so, and you picked up on that right away with Jack and probably helped me identify it back when he was a baby, but you've always made it fun so that it's engaging enough that he doesn't mind doing it. And he, in fact, likes doing it. Um, and I think that's a big key to movement for anybody, right? Like if, if you make it more fun and you put fun into the function, then um, it can be an expression of something that you're feeling, right? Absolutely. And, you know, in this, you know, we hear more and more about social emotional learning and how important it is. And, you know, in the school setting, we, we are frequently, you know, we're looking at the whole child, but we're very goal oriented toward, um, you know, academics and what they need to be successful um, when they graduate, you know, in life and things like that. And so, um, you know, when you really open it up to, um, to other things that, that really are fun and meaningful for us, um, I think it makes it makes the work much more more um, I don't know agreeable. You yeah, know. yeah, it does. It, it's more palatable for the child. So yeah. what I wanted to talk to you. I mean, you and I could talk forever about anything. We do. Um, we talk business. We talk parenting. We talk whatever. Um, but what I think one of the things that you've taught me that's been the most helpful as I parent, and then also as I help. Um, other children across the, you know, in, in my special education law practice, and then if I'm just advocating for a child in an IEP meeting or something like that, is the concept of functional movement and adding functional movement to an IEP. Um, and I'll tell you, it probably took me, you know, I think I was a really firm believer in this when I had a toddler. And then um, maybe probably like midway through preschool to like 
early, early elementary, I probably took two or three years where I like, I wasn't really as focused on that functional movement part of my parenting. Um, and I think it did affect our, our, I don't know if I want to say our progress, but it affected our happiness at home. Um, so I think it would be helpful as you and I kind of talk about functional movement, if we started and you just kind of described for my audience what functional movement is. Okay, so basically the nuts and bolts is functional movement is the movement and control that you need to have of your body to do a task, to do something that you want to do um, or something you don't want to do it might be your homework, but um, you know it's it's the movement. And, you know, it's not just, um, it's not just how strong you are. Um, it's also how well can you balance and control your body? How much can you um, stay focused on this task? You know, but, you know, you, functional movement is, um, you know, for one person, it might be to be able to tilt your head to to touch a switch to say hello. And for another, it might be being able to um, open a door or carry your tray um, or, um, or stay seated in your seat <laughs> while you're writing. Um, you know, oh, you have like the motor control to just sit there in a static way, right? Right, right, right. So then what does functional movement look like in a school? So some of those things I just described would, would, would be included. Um, and also, you know, being able to walk in the hallways, to be able to stay in line, to be able to walk safely up and down the stairs, or to be able to climb on the playground equipment um, appropriately. Um, it might be being able to wheel your wheelchair down the hall or be able to, um, to, be able to um, get in and out of your seat or up and down from the floor without bumping into people or, um, or um, just having, having it take um, you know, a long time or to be disruptive to what's going on in the classroom. I mean, the focus in the classroom is is to be learning. Um, you know, so if if you're um, if you're struggling with those kinds of things, it can impede your learning. So, um, yeah, I mean, if if you like, I always tell people. Um, so my Jack has Down syndrome, and um, he has low muscle tone as part of his um, Down syndrome diagnosis. And he also, so Jack is, uh, I always say he's a gross motor guy, right? <laughs> he, <laughs> he, but you know, what's interesting is if Jack is in a language boom, his gross motor might not be that good. And if he's in a, like when he was little and he was in big gross motor booms, then he was pretty quiet. Um, and I used to say like he, his body is only developing in one area at a time for the most part. And of course, lots of other things were happening, but it felt like if, if he was really working on, um, you know, some kind of articulation thing or a, a motor planning and speech thing, then we may as well forget about skipping for a little while or something like that. Um, and so, but when I think about everything that his body has to do to work on to attend to a task, so like you said, sitting in the seat. For him to sit in a seat, he also has ADHD. So he has to regulate his body to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to not, I have to take charge of these impulses that I have to get up, to touch something, to move, to say something, whatever. 
And then with his tone, he has to engage the right muscles to sit appropriately. And then if it's a writing task and he's sitting at the table, he has to concentrate really hard on how he's going to hold the pencil, how much pressure he's going to apply to the paper, you know, kind of all of those things. And that's before he ever reads a word or writes a word or does anything on that paper. I mean, there's so much work that goes into, I mean, I always say like, heck, he has a lot of ENT stuff. So he has to literally think to breathe sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's like for teachers to think about and related service professionals and aides and everybody else to think about in a school setting, like he's working really hard just to sit in that chair, right? Right, right. Yeah, I think that is really, uh, those are some good points because, um, you know, you take it for granted when it's easy for you and it's not always easy for us. I mean, we know how it feels to be overtired or like, I can't sit here one more minute. So maybe that is how these kids are feeling before they even get started, you know? And um, so they do have to work really hard and, you know, there's going to be good days and bad days and, and not to say that they can't, you know, focus on more than one thing at a time, like you were making the, the um, connection about, you know, if he's working on motor or speech development, he might not be as motor, you know, we still want to work on everything. Um, but it's very good to just be aware of, and, and just to empathize with the, the all the stuff that's going on and um, to remind ourselves because um, I think it helps us um, just be more patient, basically. Yeah. You know? So I want to ask you um, two things, but the second thing that I want to ask you about is how we can use um, motor skills to help to regulate us in order to prepare for those functional skills that we need in school, like accessing um, the school environment by using learning how to use steps or um, having the skills to move your wheelchair down the hallway or something like that, because that's the big thing that you've taught me is that even if it's a fine motor task, we might need to regulate ourselves with really, really specifically designed motor activities. Um, but my first question is more about the supplemental aids and services that we would put into an IEP in order to support a child so that they had some specially designed services um, or specially designed instruction that a PT or that an OT or the teachers could support in order to make sure that we continue to work on the skills that build the foundation for those functional um, motor skills, whatever those would look like. Right. What do we put into the IEP? So um, some things that we will put in the IEP might be some um, like specific motor breaks throughout the day, um, you know, and, and PT is really great, OT is too, but PT is really great for um, coming up with these um, specific activities that will benefit that individual child because all of us need motor breaks. We all know what it means to be sitting in front of a screen for hours or at a desk for hours and you, you know, you're like, oh, I just need to walk around. I just need to go get a drink of water. I need to look out the window. Um, so those are things that maybe we need to build into some students' days more frequently because they have more of a need for that. Um, but we all understand what that is. Um, and so, um, you know, as a PT or an OT could help um, give 
teachers um, ideas of things to do that would really work on core or would really work on their um, hand-eye coordination or their eye convergence if they've been staring at a screen for a long time, you know, tossing a ball up and down um, or tossing a ball and catching it is a great um, one to do. Um, and, you know, just bending upside down, letting your vestibular system work a little bit, um, it can really recharge you. You know, we've known that for years with yoga, how that really makes us feel energized and like I can work again. So these are some examples of things that could be put into um, an IEP that would specifically help address um, concerns for an individual student. Um, you know, a student that's struggling with balance might need to practice standing on one foot as a motor break throughout their day. That might be a good thing for them to do. Um, but there's there's endless possibilities of things that you can do as motor breaks. But the we know that, you know, getting up and moving your body just kind of helps reconnect the circuitry like okay and kind of helps get your body ready for the next thing, um, you know, we, we kind of go in these cycles through our day, you know, we're high energy, low energy, and um, we want our energy level to match the activity that we're doing. So if we're watching TV or we're chilling out, you know, cuddling, it's fine to have low energy, but when you want to be ready with that math answer, you need to be you need to be upping your motor a little bit, revving yourself up a little bit. And so, you know, some things that that's, that schools will do is use different kind of seating, like a bouncy seat. I'm sitting on a ball right now, if you could tell. Um, but it just kind of helps keep your core engaged and helps keep you engaged in what's going on in class. It can also be very distracting for some students. So it's not for everybody, but that's an example of things that could be go, that could go into, um, but it's not for everybody all the time either, right? Right, like right. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you want that box under your feet to give you good stability on the chair. And then sometimes you kick the box away because you're like, I've had enough of this box and I'm uncomfortable. Right. And yeah. like, you know, we used a band on Jack's chair sometimes to get him, let him kick the band because that would help him just kind of get some energy out and, and it wasn't distracting to anybody and it wasn't unsafe. It was totally fine for him to do that so that he could just kind of stay focused and engaged. Some kids like to, you know, chew their pen or like to tap their pen or wiggle their foot. We, we all do that. Um, we drink water, you know, things I'll to play with the pen right here. Right. So As we're talking, I'm like fiddling with a pen, open, close. I've got the little tab that I'm playing with. Right, right. And so some of those things are socially appropriate and sometimes they can be really difficult for, for people in groups to manage. So um, that's how we, we work case by case to make sure that we're um, helping in that specific scenario. So, and you know, something that I like to tell parents um, is that I think it's really important to explain that the function of a certain behavior can even change during the behavior. And so sometimes we have to figure out like what the, what the even if the behavior is just not wanting to sit in your chair and the teacher really wants the child in the chair and, the, and they're inflexible about even just, you know, maybe the child would stand up and work fine. But if the teacher really needs them in the chair for a specific reason and the function um, today is a sensory dysregulation. Tomorrow, it might be attention-seeking. Um, and so if it's sensory dysregulation, then we might need that movement break. But if it's attention-seeking, then the consequence or the positive behavior support, if we try to catch it before it happens, would be something other than 
a sensory regulation or a movement break, right? Like we wouldn't be turning upside down in order to um, positively support the function of attention seeking before attention seeking happens, right? right? And you hit the nail on the head. And I think that is one of the trickiest things is trying to identify, okay, why is this happening? Is it because we're, we need to move? Is it because we don't want to do this activity and we're trying to get out of it? Is it because we want um, attention? We want somebody to laugh at us that, you know, that my friend over there just made eye contact and now I want to be silly, you know, whatever the reason is, um, identifying it is key, you know, yeah. to how, how you manage it. And um, I certainly cannot claim to be a behavior expert, but I know I have learned a ton from the behavior specialists and the special ed teachers and parents and um, over the years, um, it's just, it's just, um, very complex sometimes, but. Well, and behavior, you know, I think that's a, a misnomer that you and I have talked about a whole lot. Um, not that you just said a misnomer, but behavior is human behavior. It's not bad behavior. So when we talk about like, as you and I are talking about behavior right now, I mean, the example I just gave is the behavior of sitting in your seat to do a, a task. That's not a bad behavior. It's not a good behavior. It is just human behavior that sometimes we have to sit in a seat. Um, and so the question then becomes, what supports do we need to sit in the seat? And I think that's a good example that parents can give of, um, you know, sometimes, so if parents are asking for movement breaks, functional movement breaks and in, in supported in the supplemental aids and services, then they might explain that, you know, sometimes, sometimes we need vestibular input Sometimes we need proprioceptive input. Sometimes we need heavy work. Sometimes we need um, some positive behavior support. You know, the, the thing can change. But Amy, one thing that I want to make sure that you address is, um, so let's say we get movement breaks into supplementary aids and services. Um, does that mean that, um, like, let's say a child starts to show that they're getting antsy. So a kindergartner on... The carpet during circle time and their hands start creeping towards somebody's hair or they start like shimmying up against somebody um and so their aide or a teacher or somebody says okay time for a motor break um does that mean they can like walk out one side of the library take a five second walk and walk back in and sit down or like what kind of motor breaks are we talking about when we build those in um so Usually it can be a walk, but, um, you know, typically what we would see is maybe something in the classroom where everybody stands up and does um, like a series of things um, that maybe they're familiar with, um, you know, so that it's something quick. It depends on really what the teacher is um, trying to accomplish during that time, you know, if they have time for a, a little bit longer break, um, there's some time to teach the kids something. I think it helps um, just to recognize for one, oh, we need, we need to move our bodies because I am not able to focus on my work. So, you know, teaching that routine, I think is an important piece of it. Um, so, you know, when we get up, we might um, do some, um, you know, a little dance or thing that might be on on the whiteboard, or um, or it could be like some, a go noodle kind of a thing. Yeah, like a go noodle, or it could be like three yoga moves, or it could be just um, 
standing up and taking some deep breaths, um, you know, and keeping your body still for a minute. Although I think if this teacher probably would choose something more active in this scenario, I bet, than just standing still and taking some deep breaths. Yeah, but even like jumping jacks or something like that, that, I mean, I think that the point that that you're making and that I'm happy that you're making is I see far too often in IEP meetings that teachers will say, well, we took them for a walk. And I'm like, well, taking them for a walk is great, but we need something that's going to re, I say re-regulate, which is definitely not a word, is going to regulate them, reorient them. And sometimes we have to look at what exactly they need. So are they, if they've been on a screen, I loved your example, if they've been on a screen, then we need to resituate, however you said it in a PT way, but um, <laughs> like rewire that vision piece of your brain, which is really, really important to do before then you look out into the rest of the world for something. Um, so what do we need to do specifically? I think that's really important because far too often I, I hear them say, well, you know, first of all, they wait for the behavior to happen. Like they started getting squirrely. So we took them for a walk and I'm like, well, the, you know, what we need to do is we need to build in these positive motor breaks that are happening before it happens, before a behavior happens, hopefully mm-hmm. in order to prepare the child for learning and then make a learning task that is an appropriate amount of time so that we can succeed. Right. Right. And then um, also, then, of course, we have supplementary aids and services that will specifically support the motor goals, whatever that is. So, you know, yeah. PC services can work on whatever. You know, and I think getting back to what we were talking about earlier about making it fun, like I remember being a student in school and when we would stop and do some kind of little fun game for two minutes, it would just help us all kind of kind of reconnect. And, and um, you know, you hear the word about organizing, like it helps us get more organized, not just in our own bodies, but if you're doing it in a group, you can organize together and kind of feel that group energy. Like we all did something fun together and now we're all going to do this next you know, learning tasks together, it, yeah. you know, it just kind of brings together that community sense too, I think. Um, and I think, it, you know, if it can be a fun thing, that is just going to be the cherry on top. Well, and, you know, I think that's really important too. And that's a really inclusive practice. Um, and so sometimes, you know, I say in my own family or in social circles that Jackson or something, I say, you know what, Um, Jack is telling me that he needs to move. And so how about if we all do the crab walk from here to there? Um, And I think that's an important piece of self-advocacy too for, you know, how great would it be if a teacher, if the family's comfortable with that kind of advocacy, if the teacher said, um, like I'm thinking back to when my Jack, we like to call it BR before Ritalin. When he was really, really disorganized and dysregulated on a pretty frequent basis, and he would pull hair and he would um, really bump into a child in order to feel like he just really liked him, and so he'd really want to bump into him, which kind of looks like a tackle sometimes. Um, and we had one particular teacher that would say, well, that's just Jack saying that he really likes you. Um, and so, but you know what, what that's telling me is Jack probably needs a little break. So let's turn on a good noodle. That was great because then the entire class did it and it wasn't disruptive. It supported everybody else. It, she would do it at normal transition times and that sort of thing. But I always say one of the best things that she did was she helped to educate everybody else about Jack, which really benefits 
everybody in that classroom, which was really a beautiful, beautiful thing. And he's had a lot of lasting relationships that have come out of that classroom. That's amazing. I love that because, um, you know, you're right about the things that we say, our words have so much power. And if, if we frame it in a way that is negative, then that's going to be detrimental. You know, if we're framing it in a, in a way and we're, we're educating, um, you know, all of us in the room really uh, about what, what we think is happening here, we're, we're you know, carrying on a discussion about, okay, this is what's happening. And so I think this is what we're going to try, you know, it just makes it less, um, I don't know, less of a thing. It's just a normal, let's, you know, I watched the Mr. Rogers movie uh, recently. And one of the things he says is if it's mentionable, it's manageable. And so I really buy into that, you know, if you can can have a discussion about it, we can get through it, you know, let's, let's figure this out. So I highly recommend that movie. It's very good. I might watch it tonight. I, um, yeah, I've been looking for something that's kind of inspirational like that. You know, I oftentimes, this is totally a sidetrack, but just for a second, because you said that, see, this is what happened to me with my talking. Um, but, you know, so when I was in school, I graduated from high school in 1996. Um, they, the special ed room was, you know, this like really dark room in my school. It had um, like knotty pine paneling in it. And it was like right by the cafeteria. So it was in this really weird place. And they literally had this really narrow hallway that led into the room. And I eventually volunteered in there. So I know that it opened up. It was kind of like Frank Lloyd Wright-ish almost. It was very, very narrow and then it opened up. And so nobody could see what was happening in there. And like nobody ever talked about who went there or anything else. And it was kind of like, what's, it was this mystery, like what's going on in there? <laughs> and if we had talked about it, which is the way that I parent my child that's with a disability, that has disability, like, oh, Jack has Down syndrome and this is what this means for Jack. Um, it, if we had talked about it at that time, it would have been so much less mysterious and we really could have made some better friendships and supported people better, especially in general education and whatnot. So um, that's really, I mean, to think of how far we've come in those, um, well, I said how, now I said 96, I can't do that math, but 20 something years, it's really impressive. It is, it really is. And, and you know, I have a lot of hope that, um, our kids are going to have a different, um, they will, they're going to have a different world that they live in um, where um, there's a lot more inclusion and there's a lot more um, open-mindedness, I think, about what what people can do and, and just comfort level about, you know, yeah, we're different. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. We're different. And it's like, it's so cool. It makes it, it makes the world so much more beautiful. Yeah, that's cool. So I love the idea of making the motor a part of that gen ed environment also. Um, so as we're talking about um, motor breaks and supplementary aids and services, one of the things that I um, see often in IEPs is that, um, and I kind of already talked about this a little bit, is that teachers will do it after the problem happens. Um, another thing is that they'll do it, uh, they'll take them away. Like, well, you didn't earn your yoga today because you didn't have good behavior. Um, and so I know that that's really detrimental for my own child. 
why is it really important that those motor breaks for children on IEPs are not contingent on behavior or accomplishing a task or something like that? Right. Um, well, you know, we, as we just discussed, if we're if we're sitting and for a long period of time and we need to move and we need to do something in order to get through the day, that's what we do. But, you know, if you're a kid with special needs, you may not always be able to ask for that. And so that's when you might see those those behaviors happening. Um, so it, it stands to reason that if you are just regularly giving um, the child doses of what they need, then you're going to alleviate the behaviors that may result as a you know, not getting them. So the last thing you want to do is say, oh, no, you don't get to take a break this time because you, you know, you, you just goofed off too much. Um, that's shooting yourself in the foot and it's, it's not helping anybody. Um, you know, I think it's important to, to, to see those patterns and, you know, you're not going to catch it every time. You might, you might push somebody too far and say, oh, well, learn from that. You know, I guess we need to do a break sooner next time. Um, but, you know, if you, if you um, just immediately go to, oh, they're just being a stinker or they're just, you know, being difficult, um, then that's not helping anybody, you know. Yeah, as really though you can control it, right? As though you could control your own regulation. And I think what you said at the very beginning is, really key to that, Amy, and, and something that I have to um, articulate a lot in meetings, and that is um, that sometimes we're helping children access things that they either can't say they need or don't even necessarily know that they need. And so kind of like even going a little deeper in my own experience, um, sometimes we'll build in a motor break and um, Jack won't access the motor break. You know, I'm the one that's dancing like a goofball or I'm doing yoga and he's climbing underneath me or something like that. Um, and so I actually have to work to get him engaged in the motor break, which is supposed to be not only fun, but more importantly, in his case, to really help to regulate him. And I'm like, come on, like this is for you. Um, but I think a big the key to that is having it consistent. So like if he knows, you know, right now we're obviously recording this during the COVID-19 pandemic. And so he's learning for the most part at home. And so we now have a totally great routine where we do four activities. Now it's five, which is great. And then we do a go noodle. And then we do three or four more activities. And then we do a yoga sequence. And then we do a couple more. And then we do like some kind of OT game um, like an orientation game, like a visual processing or memorization um, thing or something like that. And so he then knows our routine, which then makes him like, okay, yoga's coming up. And then he's more acclimated to the yoga. But I see a lot of times in school that it doesn't happen that way. Like the go noodle isn't always right after circle time or the yoga only happens on Tuesday when the OT comes. And then the child doesn't, it takes a second to even get oriented for the yoga and you miss some of, I mean, there's only so much time in the day, right? So right. Um, it's really, I think it's sometimes hard to like um, prepare yourself for the learning, even if it is supposed to be fun, even if it's a motor break. Right, right. And, um, you know, it's, it's very difficult sometimes to keep those routines going. Um, but even if you're doing it most of the time, you know, not every day, it may not work every day. But if you can um, have those routines in place, it does help. It helps all of us really um, yes. 
to have those routines. And, and, and many times I think it's the role of the service provider, the OT, the PT, or the speech therapist to help those teachers that are maybe struggling with how to incorporate it or how to balance it. And that's a tricky line to walk. You know, a lot of teachers have um, been doing this a long time. They've got their own experience and their own um, ideas about things. And so, um, you know, you do have to walk the line between, you know, old school and, you know, what we are learning about development, what we're learning about um, self-regulation. And, and, um, and so it really has to be dealt with case by case. Yeah, and, graceful and, advocacy for everybody at the, on the IEP team, right? Right, right. Yeah. And I think when that happens, it's, it's a great thing, you know, when you've got a collaboration of all the services and really thinking about, um, what is going to be meaningful for this student? Um, you know, what what do we need to do? Is it is it important for them to be able to do this goal, or is it more important for them to be able to, um, you know, manage their their themselves so that they can choose to do the things that they want to do rather than feel like impulsively um, compelled to do something that maybe is going to get them in trouble, you know? Yes, and Amy, I mean, that's the whole reason that this podcast exists, that Ashley Barlow Company exists, that collaboration on the IEP team amongst the related service professionals that support the teachers and the teachers that support the parents and the parents that support the, the related service professionals and kind of all of those arrows that go in all the different directions, we should all be supporting one another and um, I always tell people, you know, if you were on a team at work um, and the team had six or eight people on it um, and you only met once a year, but you were working on the project on a daily basis, you would have different communication. Um, and so, you know, I think what you just articulated is really important because what it does is it talks about how you as a PT on the IEP team will support the general education teacher or the special education teacher, um, but you have to do it in, in a manner that that person's going to accept because, you know, you could say it all you want and unless they're receptive to it, then it's not going to work. Um, and to me, so much of that has to do with sociology, right? We have to talk to every different audience member in a way that they're going to accept. And sometimes that makes it really, really hard at the table because there's so many different personalities. And so if we can do that like on a person by person basis throughout the year, then we might be more successful. So I think it's really important that you raise that topic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Amy, we... Yeah talked about a lot and I'm so excited. This is really, really helpful information for people. Um, I want to have you back because there's a couple more things that I know I want um, for you to share with my audience. So, um, you know, I definitely think that we need to have you back to talk about social emotional support um, as that applies to movement. I think it would be super cool to have you come talk about some things that parents can do at home that could support learning at school. Um, so will you come back sometime? Of course, I'd be happy to. This has been so much fun. Good, okay, I know we, we could do this forever. Um, Amy, how can my audience find you if they want to know more about Empowerhouse, if they want to know more about you, especially if they're Kentuckians and they could actually use you? 
Yes, yes. So um, we have a website, um, empowerhouseky.com. Um, we're located on US 42, um, Highway 42 in Florence, Kentucky, um, 7536. And um, we are on Facebook, Empowerhouse uh, by Pediatric Therapy Specialist. I know it's a mouthful, but um, that is where you can find us on Facebook, and um, you can find me on Twitter at Amy P or Amy Jean PT. So um, please reach out if there's anything we can do to help, because we um, we love this work and we want to help you. Oh, you are awesome! Thank you so much, and I am definitely going to see you soon, friend. Cool. Yeah, and that will be a wrap for this episode. Thank you, Amy. Thanks, Ashley.